So welcome to the Spiritual Scientist podcast. Uh, my guest today is Belle, and uh, I thought it'd be really great to interview uh, Belle Stevenson, who is someone who I've got to know through my work um, helping people to develop a relationship with the spiritual world, with loved ones who've died, um, because she has such a great story, um, a really profound story of her journey from being an atheist and not really having a belief in anything beyond the material world through to having a very strong belief in, you know, some kind of spiritual world or even we might say God or whatever words we use. But um, welcome to the podcast, Belle. Thanks, Nick. Great to have you here. So, yeah, I I thought maybe we could just start if you wanted to just... um, explain a little bit about your journey from atheism to you know the the belief that you have now and you could start wherever you like I guess but um, maybe you could describe what it was like being an atheist and what it's like not being one but um, yeah start wherever you like. Well I really enjoyed being an atheist actually <laughs> I thought it was a pretty cool thing to be um, I'm 59 now I'll be 50, I'll be 60 in a couple of weeks time and I really felt for the vast majority of my life, for 58 years of it, I felt completely comfortable being an atheist. I felt like people who had a a religious belief kind of used it as a crutch. Um, I felt they were overwhelmingly hypocritical, um, that that if you were a moral person, you didn't need God standing over you with a big stick to make you behave decently as a human being. so a lot of the kind of things that now I notice other other atheists saying, and I always pick prick my ears up, and I think, yeah, I used to believe that too. And um, my whole life, I was brought up by uh, pretty atheistic people. Um, I didn't ever really have very religious friends. Uh, I did have a vision of God when I was about two years old, which was kind of startling, especially as I... Um, I didn't believe in God after that even. <laughs> I was still kind of still an atheist for the whole of my life. And when I look back on my life now, I see that there were several places where I was given an opportunity to change my mind and and never did. I was pretty staunch about it. And um then about fifteen years ago I met um my boyfriend Simon, who was also very I mean, even more atheistic than I was. I was at least kind of open to, you know, spiritual things and thought that, you know, even though I was really scientific, I thought that it was unscientific not to be open to all kinds of stuff. Um, And I kind of harbored a belief in a spiritual world, but didn't didn't really connect that to God or to heaven. So, um, So we went along for many years. Um, being atheists together and kind of scoffing at anyone who was a sheep, as we like to call them, and believed anything else. So um, then on December 5th last year, Simon died suddenly while we were out cycling and um, he had a heart attack. And it was very shocking, of course, uh, because he was a pretty fit guy. Um, um, that was really the start of my, what I suppose you would call a conversion. So that's that's really where my conversion story starts. Okay, yeah. Yeah, well, thanks, thanks for sharing that part of it as well, because um, obviously that's really difficult, well, you know, beyond words to go through something like that, you know, um, a boyfriend, a partner, someone who's that close to us. Um, and so with this, I think you've told me before, but just for our listeners, if you feel comfortable to share it, um, were there certain experiences that led to this change? So, you know, you were both atheists, you were both, you know, scoffing and laughing at the sheep, as it were. <laughs> um, and then obviously losing him it was this tragic in this tragic way um but yeah w- if you want to share a little bit what what happened next 
Sure. I mean, in fact, it wasn't even as much what happened next. It was what had happened, started to happen um, the day before he even died. Uh, and it just, I suppose, you start to have experiences and they all start to feel connected. You can look back and see how things were connected. But I'll tell you what happened after Simon died. Um, we'd watched the movie the night before he came over on the on the Saturday night, we watched this movie um, called Jeff Who Lives at Home. And it was a movie about a guy called Jeff who's obsessed with signs and kind of lives his whole life according to various signs. And it was just a very sweet, independent American movie, and we loved it. And the sign that the guy follows all through the movie is the sign of Kevin. He follows people called Kevin. He follows a truck with the word Kevin on the side of it. Anyway, throughout the whole day, he follows the signs of Kevin and he ends up at the end of the movie saving the life of somebody called Kevin. And he wouldn't have been in that position to save the guy's life if he hadn't followed all these signs. And it sounds very simplistic, but it was kind of, it was quite a good little film. And we loved it. I mean, we talked about it. Um, as we went to bed that night and we got up the next morning, we still talked about it. And um, then we got on our bicycles and half an hour later, Simon was dead. And oh my. Um, I got home. I mean, the police brought me home. It was all just uh, kind of a blur, really. And I, you know, I, I had to give the police, Simon's parents' names and numbers. And, and they sent around, they went and told his sister who went and told Simon's parents what had happened. I mean, they're quite frail and elderly, and so, of course, they didn't want to just tell them directly. And a few hours later, his sister called me, and I, I said, how are Simon's parents doing? And she said, you know, um, Dad is doing okay, but Mum is not so great. And then she said to me, you have to remember, Simon was adopted to replace Kevin. And I just went, I mean, the hair stood up on the back of my neck. Oh, because wow. I knew that this was true, but it hadn't been in the forefront of my mind or Simon's mind. Simon's mother had lost her first son, Kevin, at the age of two. And she had been so distraught that they'd adopted Simon. But I just thought it was a very out of context thing for his sister to say to me at that moment when I was inquiring about you know, the welfare of her mother and in the wake of her brother's death. So <clears throat> it was a curious thing, but it didn't, you know, it, it made, it really set me back on my heels, but I didn't say anything to her about it because I didn't think it was appropriate. Um, anyway, <clears throat> a couple of days later, um, I went to see his parents because they live quite a way away. And, uh, you know, they're really stoical people. And, you know, we talked about, Simon but we talked about other things too and they made tea and stuff like that and then just in the middle of out of nowhere his father said to me did Simon die on December the 5th and I said yes and he said that's the same date we lost Kevin and again I was just bowled over mm. again I didn't say anything about it because I just didn't want to seem like I was kind of sensationalizing anything, but it really was a, a moment. And um, and then after that, things started to happen, which, um, you know, just started to, it, it became a, it became ridiculous, really. Um, right. Uh, I, you know, there was, obviously I was absolutely distraught for probably a week, I would say I was, I could barely move. It was so awful. But um, then about, about two weeks after Simon died, I really needed to get out. I realized I'd just been sitting at home crying and hadn't done anything. So I really needed to get out. And so I, I went for a walk. And, um, and I, as I was walking down the road, I was, I was crying. It was you know, I just couldn't, I just needed to exercise, but I didn't want to get back on my bicycle, of course. And I saw an outline in the road, which was Simon's profile. And it was the weirdest thing. I mean, I've, I took a photo of it and I showed it to people and that, oh, that's Simon. People can't believe it. Um, 
And when I saw it, I realized it was almost exactly the same profile as I'd painted of Simon um, about six months earlier. And I'd left the, it was such a bad painting, to be honest, that I'd left the painting unfinished um, around, he bought glasses and I'd left it unfinished around that part of his face. And on the profile in the road, that part also was fuzzy around the glasses area. And it was just a, a strange correlation, really. Um, well, yeah, if I could just cut in there. I mean, sure. you, you sent me a picture of this outline on the road and a picture of the painting you'd done six months beforehand. Yeah. And um, as, as you described, si Simon also had a very uh, striking profile. He, if you saw his his profile from the, the 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 painting and as you said in real life he has quite a you, you can't mistake it really so when you saw this profile on the road it was you know unmistakable and you sent me the picture I can vouch for it yeah and, and you're most welcome if you if you're able to to post those pictures I sent to you um, of Simon because they really are incredible I mean Simon had had mouth cancer about 10 years earlier and so had a very distinctive profile, um, and that, uh, and it was not it wasn't just a profile on the road. You know what I mean? Which my mind is making into Simon. It really was like his profile. Um, and then, uh, and then a few days um, after he died, also, I had a dream of him. It was the first dream I had of him since he died, and. Um, and I dreamt that I was in a parade with my sister. Uh, and it was like a street parade full of kind of green men and dancers and horses everywhere. And um, as we were walking down the street in the middle of this parade, I saw Simon through the window of a coffee shop. I rushed in to hug him and I could, I put my head on his shoulder and I could feel him so clearly. It was amazing. Um, but, uh, but he knew, I could tell that he knew he was going to die. And so it was a very sad feeling. But when I woke up, I was still happy that I'd seen him, um, even if it was in a dream that was sad. Anyway, I texted my sister, um, and I said, you know, hey, you know, thank you so much because you showed me Simon for the first time since he was dead. And she, I told her about the dream and she said, that's kind of incredible because at the time you were having that dream, I was at a street parade, the Mondol Street Parade in Penzance in Cornwall, where they had um, dancers and green men and people wear horse skulls. So it was, wow. it was just amazing. It was mind-blowing. Literally, as I was dreaming, she was at this festival, which I had never heard of. I had to Google it to see what it was all about. Um, and she had only just moved to Penzance, so she'd never taken part in that before either. Uh, so that was another thing. And then um, a few weeks later, I started to become obsessed with the idea of painting Simon's portrait again. The first one had been a bit of a disaster, so I wasn't holding out much hope. Um, I don't, I'm not much of a painter, and in fact, I only had sort of... Um, a few old crusty paints so I actually went out and bought an apron and oil paints and canvases brushes everything and easel the whole nine yards um and it got to the point over several days it got to the point where I was compelled to paint this picture of Simon so I looked at some photos I had of him and so I could copy one you know and mm -hmm. I I picked out one because he had a lovely sparkle in his eye and I spent the whole day in the greenhouse painting this portrait which and I it was an incredibly emotional experience I actually I mean through much of it I was in tears um, I didn't feel confident about what I was doing and yet there was almost a presence with me that was guiding my hand I would I would sort of think, oh, my goodness, I don't know. Uh, this is going to be so bad. It's going to be so wrong. And I would feel this feeling that somebody would almost say to me, no, do that line, make that mark, choose that color. It will be fine. It will be right. And I would do those things and it, would, and it was right. Um, 
And I just kept thinking, as long as I capture that sparkle in his eye, everything will be okay. Um, and I spent five hours painting this portrait, which came out miraculously good, as far as I'm concerned anyway. I mean, I've never wow. painted anything that looked really that good. I'm, I'm no painter, but it was a very good painting of Simon. And it did capture the sparkle in his eye. And I was so happy with it. And I came indoors afterwards, had a cup of tea, and then realized that I'd missed all that day's horse racing. Now, I bet every single day, just pennies. And Simon used to tease me so much because, you know, he would sort of talk to me as though I was an inveterate gambler. But I would be like 50p each way, one pound win. And he used to giggle like mad because he knew I was such a pathetic horse racing fan. <laughs> and, uh, and so I thought, oh, you know what? I've still got time to have a bet on the evening racing. So I opened up my gambling app and I looked at the first race at Wolverhampton that night. And there was a horse running called Sparkle in His Eye. And I. Oh, my um, goodness. It came in at eight to one. I bet two pounds on it. <laughs> so it was quite, it was again another moment which was just phenomenal. Um, and there were other instances where Simon gave me funny racing tips in dreams and things like that. And they all won. It was quite remarkable. Wow. I feel, okay. I, I feel as though he did it because he knew that I would never lose more than two or three pounds on a horse at a time you know it was just a fun thing okay so so you're um is is that what you've come to believe what what's going on that it is him finding a way to communicate with you because you know um you know you're you're into gambling <laughs> you know what i mean i, I don't mean that yeah. in a bad way no, you're no, into no, gambling but no and no maybe nobody else would really know that yes, about you think, or yeah there were so many other moments that were just about us um and i and i i didn't start to look out for them because each one seemed to come out of nowhere and completely floored me every time it, I was never something I thought, oh, I wonder if I'll get about a sign from Simon about that. Every time it happened, it was something which was completely left field. Uh, and I, but of course, every time it happened, it was making me think more and more about why it was happening. I, I became convinced that they, the signs meant that Simon was still around. For instance, I'd bought a trombone years before. And I'm so bad. I thought I'd be a natural and I'm just not. And I'm just awful at it. But Simon, for some reason, really loved the idea of me playing the trombone. And he used to ask me all the time, have you played your trombone today? <laughs> and and, and um, right. he bought me a course of online lessons. He bought me a DVD, which I never even bothered opening. And um, it was called Play Trombone Today. Anyway, so, I mean, one of the signs that happened was... I came down one morning and I, I've got a, a bookshelf in my study and um, I've got a childhood toy. It's a stuffed penguin on one of the shelves and it had fallen onto the floor. I mean, it'd been sitting on the shelf for goodness knows how many years, but it had fallen on the floor. Picked it up, I put it back on the shelf. The next day, it had fallen on the floor again and it happened three days in a row. And on the fourth morning, I came down and it hadn't just fallen on the floor. It was across the other side of the room. And so I picked it up and I thought, hang on, is this a sign from Simon? And I thought, well, why would he throw this penguin across the room? It's ridiculous. <laughs> and then I thought, as I put the penguin back, I thought, oh, what's the penguin hiding here? And it was the DVD, Play Trombone Today. And so <laughs> I picked up the trombone, played it today. I've tried to play it lots since then. The penguin hasn't fallen off the bookshelf again. And it was just like one of those things that made me laugh so much. And it was so typical of Simon. He was an extremely funny guy. And we had lots and lots of little sort of like, you know, intimate private jokes that were so funny. And, we, and I loved him because of that. And it seems to me that the signs he sent me were very similar to the kind of things that he would have done while he was alive. You know, they weren't holy signs they weren't suddenly religious signs it wasn't as though he was as transformed into something some other kind of being he was just being simon but having passed on um and i think that 
it was about sort of that time, I suppose, February. I can't really remember exactly when it was, but it was a couple of months after he died and after I'd received these and many other signs that um, I started to think more deeply about the afterlife and, and what was happening. And it just so happened. I mean, I, I joined a, a Facebook group called, um, I think it was called Signs from Our Loved Ones or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. I also watched a lot of uh, YouTube videos about near-death experiences and I was struck by how um, consistent people were in their experiences of this great love and forgiveness and um, commonalities like life reviews and things like that, you know, um, and people who were given a choice to stay or come back and, of course, Everybody chose to come back because that's how they're on YouTube. <laughs> but, um, yes. you know, so and then I saw your video on the Facebook page. I didn't see it live. I just saw a little short recording of it. And something that you said really spoke to me. And that was that, um, you know, it's about getting over grief, but it's also they can help us, but we can help them. You know, we can help our loved ones who have passed. And I, <clears throat> after a couple of months of feeling very um, hopeless and directionless in many ways, I really loved the idea that I might still be of use to Simon. You know, when, when he was alive, we both championed each other. You know, we were both full of respect for each other and what each other did. And I loved that he'd been sending me these signs, but I suddenly thought maybe he's sending me these signs for another reason. Maybe he needs my help um, because I was curious that he hadn't sent signs to his family, only to me. And, um, and I think possibly I felt that Simon knows that I am open to investigation of um, what we, I suppose, we call the paranormal, but spiritual matters. I was open to that, whereas he never was. And I wondered, does is Simon asking for my help? And that's when I called you, Mick, and, and, and we spoke for the first time. That's right. Yes, we did. Well, thank you for sharing all that uh, with us, Belle, because it's, it's so... Um, I mean, there's the a lot. Maybe some people would just say, "Oh, that's just coincidence," and that's just coincidence, and that's just coincidence. But um, there's something about the connection between the things, and so many things, and so you know, in a way, it's a, an open-minded scientific inquiry. In a way, to go well, okay, well, that's a coincidence, but what, what else? Or how else could that have come about? And to really in a way, investigate it scientifically if, if someone wants to go that far with it. Mm. But um, this conception that we can actually help them is really often uh, sort of a game changer for people because grief is very much to do with what, you know, what the individual is going through who's lost someone and that's how it should be and that's how it is. And there's no, in a way, there's no skipping over that. There's no skipping over the pain. <clears throat> However, if we have this conception that life after death, you know, also has its challenges, um, and, you know, I talk more about that in my pod other podcasts and videos and things, but um, if, if the, this concept that we can actually support and help them on their continued journey, as it were, uh, and that actually allows them and helps them to help us more with life here on earth, then it really takes the, well, in my experience working with people, it sort of takes, um, how do I describe it? It gives us a different focus. So rather than the focus being, you know, me trying to get through my grief and get through the pain and maybe distract myself or do this and do that, I can actually spend a little bit of time each day working at helping them. And it just seems to really shift things for people. But what was extraordinary, I think, about uh, your case, Belle, is that that was the first thing you said to me. 
And I hadn't really heard that before coming from someone else. It's usually me trying to explain that to people yeah. because of um, because of the way karma works, because, you know, everything we think, feel and do on earth has its consequences. You know, we cause pain, we cause joy. We have to, at least for one part of the journey after death, live through that, live through what we've caused. And um, you're the first one that came to me and said, uh, I really want to help him. And that just blew, that just, yeah, blew my mind. Well, it blew my mind too, because it was a complete game changer. It really was everything, you know, I mean, I can't even say that everything before that was about me because the signs came so quickly and so thick and fast. And I've only told you, you know, the, the kind of like the biggest ones. I mean, there's another half dozen signs which were also just as impressive to me, you know, which maybe weren't as, you know, it didn't have as physical an effect on the world, but they were still incredible. And I think you're right that each one of them is a coincidence, but the sheer number of them in such a short space of time is what I think is makes them really, um, for me, definitive. Before I was um, converted, I always thought to myself, you know, it would take an awful lot of evidence. I would have to see proof. I would have to know for sure, you know, that that to, for, to make me change my mind. And, you know, it was kind of like halfway through this experience, I realized, you know what, Simon has given me proof. He has shown me evidence. I would be very foolish and pig-headed if I was to start ignoring that now, having said that that's what I wanted you know, and okay. yeah. um, so once we started to talk, I mean, it just, it was just so helpful. I can't even tell you how amazing it was to have somebody to be suddenly be confronted with this idea of maybe I can help Simon and then to have somebody show me how to do that was amazing to me. Absolutely amazing. It was so helpful. Um, Everybody noticed uh, how well I was dealing with the death of Simon and how quickly I seemed to be, I don't want to say getting over it, but I, you know, that's how it felt. I was like, this is amazing. This is, I dare to say, it's brought joy back into my life. The idea of helping Simon um, and other people, you taught me how, you know, this is not just Simon who needs my prayers and my love. It's everybody who's passed before. Um, you know, we can support all our loved ones and strangers as well. Um, and it was a few, I know there was a few sessions in before we actually talked about God. Um, and I appreciated that too. I liked the way that you um, approached the issues in, a, in quite a secular, scientific fashion and you never mentioned the word god or prayer until i think i said to you so what you're talking about is praying and you're like yes if you like to talk about it that way but i thought that was a that even that helped me to get over this um you know this not even a very rocky road between atheism and belief um in god and it was some time around the time we started talking that I realized I do believe in an afterlife because I feel I've seen enough evidence of it um, to make that scientifically okay in my own head and and within a few weeks of starting to talk to you I think I felt you know what holding on to my disbelief in God now no longer seems sensible it just seems stubborn and and so I let go of that disbelief I actually went to church one day which I never thought I'd do willingly and the lesson was about letting go of old beliefs and old things and, and embracing new things and which was lovely um and uh and it just and I couldn't quite believe what was happening when I told my family there was this deathly silence <laughs> and uh and <laughs> people looked at me as though i'd i'd confessed to the great train robbery <laughs> <laughs> she's and, lost she's lost her mind <laughs> completely completely there was complete silence. i've never and my family i've got a family of women 
and I have never heard complete silence. It's just incredible. And one of them actually said, oh, I'm not sure Simon would like that. And I said, but Simon is the one who showed me the way. So I'm absolutely sure he would like it. And I think that one of the most one of the most important things for me, which is the thing that's most difficult to describe to people, is that with each of the signs I had, and every single day when I think about Simon or God or an afterlife or Jesus, there's this immense feeling of rightness. Um, and for me, that's the uh, daily affirmation I get because I did wonder, you know, will I start doubting this? How long can this last? Is it just because I'm grief stricken? Is this some kind of trick my mind is playing on me? But this welling up of rightness when I think about these things, these religious things, um, is something I never expected. And I, and I, and it really affirms what I feel about the conversion. I feel that it's the right thing for me. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, and I think, I think, you know, the reason that I don't mention the G word or the J word, yeah. <laughs> especially the beginning, is because it was such a struggle for me personally um, yeah. as well. And it was only sort of discovering Rudolf Steiner's work that kind of put all of those concepts into the a, a bigger picture and brought them into connection with reincarnation and karma and you know scientific ways of thinking that I could really come at it either it's taken me a long time to get over those words but like you said um you, you just mentioned before letting go old beliefs and in a way I think what we're doing as we develop spiritually is we're continually Letting go, of, letting go of old beliefs, even our religious or spiritual ones, and we get to new, you know, get to the point where we go. Actually, that belief that I had last week actually doesn't really fit anymore, you know, because the spiritual world, uh, the gods, God, all of those things are so, um, you know, other compared to earthly life, or they can seem so. Yes, that we need to continually sort of undo our concepts and ideas in order to get closer and closer to, to grasping it in some way. So that letting yes, go yeah. is really a kind of a reassessment. There's a continual reassessment of, of, I mean, I'm constantly checking in with myself now, you know, um, things like being on Facebook and stuff like that. You know, I used to, you know, occasionally write a comment that was, just funny when you know even if it was a bit cruel or something like that or disagree with someone you know about something fundamental and get into a slightly heated discussion and nowadays I just I start typing the thing and then I just stop myself <laughs> and I'm just like right. why are you doing this this is completely pointless and unless it's a supportive kind message I don't bother just don't bother anymore it makes me so much happier <clears throat> mm. Right. Okay. So, so this transition from uh, atheism to belief has, would you say, it's actually led to a change in the way you behave? Yeah, it's led to me trying much harder to be a better person. Um, and of course, I like to think I was a good person anyway. But I think this has made a big difference. It's made a difference in the way I. Um, treat other people in the way I approach treating other people you know I kind of like I'm always looking to myself trying to check to see whether I'm doing the right thing not just from my own point of view but from their point of view too am I given, giving people enough credit am I seeing things from their point of view do I really need to prove I'm right about something? That's a big one for me because I was very kind of like, um, you know, snobby about facts, you know. Okay. And, uh, yeah. and now I just don't feel I need to anymore. I don't feel I need to show off my intellect or my general knowledge as much. Well, I'm not saying I'm cured, you know. <laughs> okay. but, yeah. but, you know, I just feel... Uh, 
I feel so much more relaxed about the way the world is and the way it's going to be. Okay, yeah, amazing. Thank you for sharing all that uh, with us, with me and with all the listeners, because it was a real privilege to, you know, actually work with you week after week and and sort of experience the development that took place um, and experience the, you know, the depth of understanding that took place and the depth of, um, well, it seemed like as we went on week after week with the conversations that there was a, yeah, a real deepening of this belief. Um, but in a way, it's kind of, this is sort of the reason I call it um, the Spiritual Scientist podcast, and that's my website as well, Spiritual Scientist. But um, because the way of approaching it is kind is scientific in a sense. It's like uh, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting um, information, or I'm getting a sign, or I'm getting this or that, and I have to then put that into a hypothesis about what that actually means and what what that could be, and that sort of leads leads us on step by step so do you feel like it's um a continuing process that that you're still working with that you know you said about this reaffirmation each day that that things it feels more and more right um that's the word you use i, I think um yeah could, could you just, just just describe that a little bit further that feeling that that this is right yeah i mean i do i mean i would never pretend that i'm like i'm finished with the work now that was it last year I was an atheist this year I believe in God done deal I'm off to heaven thank you very much you know that kind of thing it's constant I would say work but it kind of doesn't feel like work it feels like I want to do these things I actually want to go to church I want to read the bible although the Old Testament is testing my patience. It's so gloomy. Yes. I really like the New Testament, <laughs> but the Old Testament. The, the sequel. Is a bit of a prefer the se- prefer right. the sequel. Exactly. It was really funny. I mean, uh, I I mean, if you like, I'll tell retell you the story, Mick, about how I started reading the Bible. My grandmother had given me a Bible when I was about eight years old, and she'd written in the front of it. She was she was a Christian scientist, but I never was interested in anything but she gave me a bible gave each of my sisters a bible and um and so while around the time I started talking to you I woke up one cold March morning and thought you know I'd like to read the bible I think I'll get the bible and I knew where it was I've always kept it on my bookshelf and uh but it was really cold so I was like oh I don't really want to go downstairs and get the bible but I thought no get out of bed get the bible and uh, so I finally got out of bed, rushed downstairs, grabbed the Bible, ran upstairs to bed and opened it randomly and couldn't read it because the print was too small. Oh, <laughs> and, uh, and so I was like, oh, you know what? I've got a magnifying glass downstairs, but it's so cold. I want to get out of bed again. And I thought, oh, for goodness sake. You know, you're going to read the Bible, get out of bed, get the magnifying glass. So I rushed downstairs, rushed back upstairs with the magnifying glass and looked at the page I'd opened the Bible on. And at the very first words I ever read in the Bible were magnify the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it just made me laugh so much. And I just thought, oh, maybe God has a sense of humor. And if so, I can totally get on board with that. Um, and <laughs> Bizarrely, from that since that first time, I've never needed the magnifying glass again, which was strange. Um, so I read the Bible every morning, and uh, and uh, and I think about Simon, and I send him all my love, and I think about other people I love who've passed, or just random people that might need a prayer, and mm. and I want to do these things. It's a continuing process and i'm sure i'll be doing it until the day i die i hope so anyway because it feels valuable in my life and it feels right and it and if it's helping anybody even you know myself included if it's helping anybody then it it must be a good thing only good is coming from it and so i want to keep doing it 
Yeah, well, that's a, a beautiful way to put it. And um, I think that a lot of people think that finding finding a new spiritual belief or a religious belief of some kind means sort of, like you said before, that's the end. So I, I'm either going, people have this idea of the afterlife, you know, in traditional ways that you you have you lived badly so you go straight down there and that's forever or you were a good yeah. person you go straight up there and that's forever yeah um but you know there are many different conceptions or the the new age version that you you die and then you're just automatically perfect and none of that really mattered what happened on earth so this uh but it's much more a, a development a continual development and you like you say it's a kind of a work but it's a yeah, a joy-filled work, and it's it um, is. Just... It is. And I, if you told me a year ago, yesterday, a year ago, yesterday, that within months of Simon dying, I could feel joy because he had died. You know, in, in and I, I cry almost every day still, just for two or three seconds. Do you know what I mean? I get tearful, mm -hmm. but when I think about him, or I think about things we did, or I see something that reminds me of him. It's never a miserable cry. It's never a miserable cry. It always feels sad, happy, you know, like I'm missing him, but boy, this is amazing. Or wow, wouldn't Simon love that? And it's the joy that makes me cry, not the sadness. And it's, I mean, I'm flabbergasted by how just that one thing you said about us helping them made all the difference to my life and I really hope it's made all the difference to Simon's afterlife. Well that's right. I mean that's incredible that you sort of took to that so quickly as well. And I think it's important to point out as well that when when I work with people I don't I don't ever I'm not working with people to bring them to the same belief that I've got. I'm working with them uh, to bring them to their belief, if you know what I mean. So, yeah. you know, I've just worked with someone uh, recently who's actually into Wicca and witch witchcraft and stuff like that. And I'm I'm not there saying, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. That's not that's not the right yeah. way. It should be more like my path or anything like that. Yeah. It's just um, a way of you know holding someone's hand in a way with their spiritual journey, and they'll come to the they'll come to the truth that's for them that's at the right time. Maybe she will stay in Wicca or maybe she'll move into something else. I don't know, but it's not for me to come in there and tell them, yeah, uh, I mean, tell someone I, how, what to believe. I think when I was an atheist, one of the things that used to irritate me most about uh, people with faith is that they always seemed like, oh, if you don't, if you don't have faith, then you can't reach God. And I didn't believe it, you know, and I still don't believe it. I just think that if you, but I do think that you kind of need to feel that God's in your life because he is anyway. <laughs> do you know what I That's mean? That's right. Yeah. If, 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 I, he, if he's real, then he's there, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, and, and when I say God, of course, I don't just mean the Christian God. So, you know, as long as somebody believes in a higher power and um, is living a life that their own God would approve of, which is a life of kindness and humility and love and joy um, and gratitude. I mean, I know you, the one thing I really liked about your teaching was that a, you didn't talk about God until I decided to, because that made me feel like I'd made that choice myself and hadn't been led there. And the other thing was your emphasis on gratitude, because every single thing that happens in my life I can find gratitude in it. You know, Simon dies and people are like, oh, my God, how are you coping? And I say, because from the moment he died next to me on the road, I felt lucky that I'd had him for 14 years. I felt lucky that I was with him when he died. I felt lucky that he died instantly on a bicycle, which was his favorite thing to do. You know, he died in full lycra. And okay. there were so there were so many things to be grateful for about that that they just came thick and fast, just like the signs did. And I think that uh, cultivating gratitude is the most wonderful thing that anybody can do because 
There is nothing that you can't be grateful for, however bad it seems at the time. You will always see a, a, a side of it that, that means that you need to offer gratitude for it. Look, it's incredible to hear that because, you know, I, I do teach that to people or I do, you know, offer that that option to people that 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 is possible but you come along and then you know actually did it <laughs> you know what I mean so I kind of talk I sometimes talk about these sort of three levels of gratitude there's there's being grateful for the good things that you've got you know the roof over your head the the food in the fridge the the heating ideally I know it's tricky at the moment but the heating um then there's sort of level two gratitude which is um you know, being grateful for uh, things that actually I've kind of lost my lost my train of thought there. But the, the <laughs> level of the level of gratitude that you've reached, where you're actually grateful, come to the point where you're grateful for so-called bad things. Um, it just that's just amazing, and also that this is something really interesting. I think that there tends to be this humor about it as well. I mean, you know, I always used to feel bad when laughing and talking about someone that had died but mm. there often seems to be this humor involved in it and uh, it, again and again when I'm working with people and you just kind of embody that and I think possibly that's because Simon and yourself had this shared sense of humor so it's a big part of who you were but um, yeah it just blows my mind that you you actually got to that place of saying I'm grateful for what happened. I mean that I've yeah. actually I've yeah. told other I've told other people that that I've worked with, and I I do it very tentatively. You know, I say, but um, I I have worked with people who've reached that point. So that that's incredible. It was, and I and I don't want to sound like some kind of martyr, or someone who's, I don't know. I mean, I'm just an ordinary person. But I tell you, when uh, Simon died, and I can't tell you how my heart was filled with gratitude even while people were giving him CPR. Three doctors stopped within 30 seconds on that road and he was getting CPR from three doctors, one of them an oncologist who gave him CPR until um, the ambulance arrived and they continued it. And, you know, when you have something terrible like that happen to you, the overwhelming feeling is gratitude that people are so wonderful. You know, um, Simon had been through cancer. I'd just been through cancer. And I guess we were prepped, really, to be grateful. Um, and from the moment, the moment he uh, died, from the moment he died, uh, I was grateful for everybody who did as much as they possibly could from the, you know, the guy who didn't run him over as he was, he sort of wobbled into the middle of the road on his bicycle and somebody stopped within inches of him. Um, I was grateful that they hadn't run him over and, you know, added to the trauma of the whole event. Uh, I was grateful to every single person who'd stopped to help the ambulance crews, the fire crews. It was all just, and I mean, of course it was shocking yeah. and I was, I felt bereft, but at the same time, there was already this groundswell of gratitude in me that this is how Simon was dead, but my God. I mean, one of the doctors who'd given him CPR, uh, kneeling on this rough gravel road on his knees and all dressed up to go somewhere nice that he was never going to reach that day because the road was closed for so long. And he put his arm around me afterwards and, and said, you know, I'm an oncologist and a cyclist, and that's how I want to go. And I just thought, what a wonderful man, you know, what a kindness to have stopped, to have cared, to have tried so hard, to have stayed till the bitter end, even though the ambulance crew had taken over. You know, his wife and her friend literally stood either side of me and hugged me while people were working to try and bring Simon back. And they couldn't, and I knew they weren't going to. But the kindness was extraordinary. You know, how could I not feel grateful for that, even at that moment? Okay, yeah, I mean, that's just beautiful. Thank you for sharing all that with us. Um, so does that, does that sort of lead 
lead you as well to think about the goodness in people in general? Yeah, yeah I'm kind of one of those, I'm a little bit of a misanthrope really, you know, en masse, I can't bear people. There's way too many of us and it drives <laughs> me crazy. But, you know, on an individual basis, there's something so special and people are at their very best when we show our vulnerability and we show our need and people will step up and do extraordinary things for you. And I think it's wonderful and I think it's inspiring. And I think that I've been lucky enough to go through cancer so that I have seen that firsthand, um, first with Simon and then myself. And, and, and it really does, it really does, I mean, restore your faith in people, in humanity because people are extraordinary. And I know you talked a little bit, you know, during your course about, um, you know, why we're here and, you know, what the, what the purpose is and all this kind of stuff. And, and it, to me it feels like it's only when you're really, when you really need people and they show you their best side and how wonderful ordinary people are and how kind they are. There is something special about humanity and it does make me feel better about the future. <laughs> That's really important because a, a lot of us, depending on our worldview, sort of have a negative picture of humanity, of human beings themselves. You know, I mean, the the kind of prevailing reductionist, Darwinist worldview is that we're all just uh, selfish animals who only yeah. really care about our own survival or the survival of those nearest and dearest to us but um you know this is a very different worldview that you have come to through these very very difficult painful experiences cancer you know having lost someone it's it's just it's it's so it's so inspiring to hear you speak uh yeah i think what it does is it makes you appreciate the people who are really doing their best and making other people's lives better for their presence on the earth. And when you come across people who are not doing their best, who are, who are somehow, um, you know, retarded in their spiritual development and it makes it easier to still be kind to them, you know, because I feel like I've been extraordinarily lucky in my life um, my parents, the places I've lived, my socioeconomic status, uh, my career, I've, I've just had it so good. Um, when you compare, compare it to most people on the planet, you know, the majority of the planet, I have been so fortunate. And so I find it now much easier to not be judgmental about people who have not done the right thing who have made other people's lives more miserable who have you know all kinds of stuff and again i'm not saying this is easy or this is automatic for me but these are things that i think about much more deeply now because of this whole um my worldview has changed from just being a human being trying to get through my life with a you know a pension that's intact Okay, um, yeah. <laughs> to being to being somebody who sees that this is just one part of our experience and that I have been fortunate in this life and that um, I can appreciate that and I'm grateful for it, whereas so many people are less fortunate and it's not a level playing field. Everybody starts from a different place. and And so I'm much more forgiving of people's foibles or criminal activities or, um, you know, rudeness, or I am much, much more likely now to just let it go or to be nice to them anyway, or to forgive them. You know, it's just, it's a whole different mindset because you realize we are on a very, very long journey of self-discovery. And it's, I feel grateful to finally acknowledge that you know it feels like a relief to finally acknowledge that that's where I am and not just floating about in the universe not knowing where I'm going yeah that's right I think the the 
the worldview um, as you begin to develop it, the worldview that, you know, fundamentally people are good, um, but we've all had different experiences in our childhood and growing up and through life that have led us to behave this way or that way. It really frees us up, I think. Um, And that ability to forgive comes, you know, it does come through work and on on the same, it's not just automatic. It's, it's something that has to be, you know, worked with. Yeah. But it is, it, uh, it is very freeing to think that person who just did that thing, you know, I don't condone it. I'm not going to say it's a good thing. I'm not yeah. going to say even that they, that they should have done it. Of course they shouldn't have done it. And, but I can go a step further and think, well, they had certain experiences as children or That's maybe right. some karmic thing going on that that, that, right. that led them yeah. to do that and maybe if I'd grown up in their circumstances yeah. and had the same experiences I would have done that and it's again it's not condoning it. it's not saying horrible things are good it's not calling you know white black and black white it's looking at the reality but um inwardly it's um a very freeing experience I think yes it really is it makes it makes life kind of more interesting in a way you know, it's not black and white. It's not just, oh, this terrible thing happened and that person should go to jail. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. It's a much yeah. more subtle, nuanced kind of thing. And once again, it brings you back to gratitude because when you see somebody doing something unkind or you you hear about somebody committing a terrible crime, you just think, boy, there but for the grace of God, literally. That's the first time I've ever said that and sort of meant it. But literally, but for the grace of God, there go I, you know. And Mm. you're so grateful because you see all the places in your, you know, in your own history where you could have gone wrong and instead somebody was there to help you go right, you know. That's right, yeah. And then the comes another level of gratitude doesn't it that yeah that there were all these people around me and I had these certain role models or someone picked me up when I fell down then and yeah all that kind of thing yeah. yeah that's right and sometimes you you still went wrong you know I certainly sure. did you know I still did things that I'm really ashamed of or that you know that I realized hurt other people and and I and yet I'm so grateful that fundamentally um I had the kind of upbringing which meant that I was able to get back on on an even keel but you know even even with you know exceptionally good luck in in my birth um I went wrong anyway you know so so how much easier is it for other people to go wrong who haven't had my good fortune that's right and that sort of I think leads or points to something else you were you know, I think pointing towards is forgiving ourselves as well, because whatever we did in the past, you know, it's done. We've all done things we regret. We've all done things we wish we hadn't have said, yeah. said and done things. But on some level, we we did what we thought was right at the time, or we were compelled to do it, and we couldn't stop ourselves, or whatever whatever it is. And I think the coming to that point of not only being able to forgive others, but uh, forgive ourselves and and try again i think that's the message with um you know a healthy spirituality is that you get another shot at it yeah yeah that sounds fair to me i think that's kind of why i don't like the old testament so much it's because it's so it's kind of unforgiving and judgmental in a lot of places you know um whereas it's almost it's almost like once god came down to earth as jesus he realized how bloody hard it is. <laughs> he, he, like, he worked it out. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to go a bit easy on the humans from here on in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a great, I've never thought of it like That's a good way to look at it. But I think, yeah, I mean, with the Old Testament, I think it's important as well. We have to sort of put that into the context of the of the time. And this is too much to go into here, but the evolution of human consciousness, you know, I think that at, at certain times, humanity needed certain ways of being for for it to survive for it to get through for it to develop certain different peoples to yeah. de- to develop certain different qualities you know the australian aboriginals for example they have these very uh, drastic initiation ceremonies which we lots of us today probably 
think are barbaric. But um, for that particular culture and that particular time, things developed in a certain way. And the Old Testament, I think, can be, it, it's too much to go into, but can be viewed in a few different ways anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm trying, I'm trying to, I'm trying to give it a break. I'm trying to be forgiving about the Old Testament. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, what would you, what would you say to people who are maybe on the edge of thinking, well, maybe there is something beyond matter. I mean, I, I, ta- I go from a few different angles. I talk to some people from a real philosophical perspective, because I think, uh, deterministic materialism doesn't really stand up to logic very well <laughs> when you really get yeah. to the core of it. You know, other people, it's more of a, a a particular journey that they take through their life, through life circumstances, which in a way sort of force them into <laughs> believing in a sense. Um, yeah. But what would you say to people who are, well, I don't know if it's worth saying atheists, but people who are agnostic or who don't who think matter is all there is, but they're kind of flirting with the idea of spirituality. What, what's your message? Well, I think I think one of the things that's hit me during this last year when these things have started to happen to me and I started to talk to other people about it and then I started to believe in God and I started to talk to other people about it. And I think that the difficulty is that unless these things happen to you, it's very, very difficult to believe them. You can listen to them and you can be interested in them, but it's very difficult to actually feel a difference in yourself. You know, to me, it's remarkable. Having been through this this experience, it's remarkable that anybody gets converted any other way. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I I can't quite I can't quite imagine the kind of leap of faith it requires to to actually go from being an atheist to a believer when you haven't actually had these kinds of signs and you know supernatural urgings really so I'm not quite sure what I would say to people all I can say really is this happened to me and I I was where you were a year ago and this happened to me and I'm not a crazy person and and yet it sounds crazy so I don't expect you to believe it but I would love you to because it's it's quite something. It's quite something and it's quite wonderful. That's sort of what I say to people as well. I, I always say, look, don't believe a word I say, but try these things out. You know, try out this yeah. particular kind of meditation yeah. or try out this, even try out this belief, like putting on a coat to see if it fits yeah. or see what the effects are of putting yeah. on that coat, you know, but there's no point ever really trying to convince anyone, except I think some very clever people who are really good at philosophy can do it through logic. I haven't actually worked out exactly how to do that yet, but I'm kind of working on it. <laughs> oh, well, I'm reading, I'm reading C.S. Lewis's Surprised by Joy at the moment. So I haven't got to the point where he actually talks about the philosophy, you know, you know, the conversion, the logic of the conversion he underwent. But I'm looking forward to reading that because I would really like to see if it would have worked on me a year ago, you know. Um, yeah, that, I mean, that's his book is um, a really good one for that. I think he does come to, come to the philosophical points at some point in that book. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think possibly all you can really do is try to be a good person and let other people see what's working for you. And where you get your strength from, you know, when people say to me, you know, that yesterday, because it was the anniversary of Simon's death, I had a lot of lovely messages and texts and calls and stuff from people. And all of them said the same thing. You've been so brave. I don't know how you do it. You've been so brave this last year. And I can honestly say it took no bravery whatsoever. It was just a logical sequence of events that started to unfold even in the face of my complete disbelief and, you know, scepticism, you know, and and I could no longer deny it. And I was just like, well, I'm going to have to go with it because this is the logical sequence of events that's been unfolding and I'm just going to continue to logically now progress to a point where I believe in God. Yeah, that's that's incredible. So it's just... You know, it's actually born out of 
logic. It's not going against logic. I think that's really no, important. No, that's point. exactly it. And, that, and to me, that's important. To other people coming to a religious faith, they may be happy to do it in a different way. You know, I think there are many, many ways to get to the place that I am at the moment. But for me, I needed evidence. I needed to feel that I was being logical and scientific in every decision I made and in every um, shift of thinking that was being made in my head. The only leap I ever made really was to say, I've had all these experiences. I've looked at all these videos. I've read all these books. I've spoken to Mick and there is now comes a point where I have enough evidence, I believe, to make the final leap, which is I'm going to believe in God too. And it was, to me, all quite scientific. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, Belle, it's uh, really inspiring to uh, speak to you again and, and hear your story again. I've, I've been lucky enough to hear it a couple of times now, but there were actually things that you said today that, that I hadn't heard before. So that was that was really great. And I really hope that uh, people who listen to this um, appreciate it as well because I think you know you share your experience and um, what you've been through and what you've come to by having gone through that experience so generously and and with so much humor and and love and joy uh, that it's just contagious so I really appreciate you coming on the podcast Bell and um are there any parting words you'd like to say? Uh, anything you'd like to add before we finish up? No, but I love that word contagious. And it would be lovely to think that this kind of joy was contagious. And I'm so anybody who's listening out there and prevaricating, just, you know, just keep going. You know, it will happen for you. If you keep open, to, if you stay open to it, you know, if you stay open to God, God will find you. He wants, he wants you to be with him. Well, what a beautiful way to, to finish up. Well, thank you again, Belle, for joining us. And, um, yeah, just really appreciate you and appreciate you giving up your time for us today on the Spiritual Scientist podcast. And for those of you who are interested in finding out more about um, my work and the work that we do, the, you can just go to uh, spiritualscientist.org. And if you go there, that's where you can actually book a session with me. Um, but if you're not, ready yeah. for that as well i have a facebook group which is called staying connected um the so it's staying connected developing a real relationship with the spiritual world and you can find videos and uh posts and things in there to find out more so oh, thanks mick, again mick, thank, mick yeah. thank you so much i just wanted to add i really having you there to guide me when i really needed it was just invaluable thank you so much you're very, very welcome. Absolute pleasure. I learned so much from you and from the experience that um, that I'll keep with me forever. And that actually, you know, having worked with you and you having your experiences really helped me working with other people and continues to do so. So thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. Okay. Take care. Bye for now. Bye. Bye-bye.